Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I was on a bus to go to London for a university sort of trip and halfway through the trip I feel like half of my face start to go a bit tingly it was like pins and needles but it was also nothing of the sort and it went a bit droopy and I couldn't move my mouth and I couldn't move my tongue very well and I couldn't talk halfway through the day it started spreading to my arm and my arm got tingly so I had seven little ones that I can remember but I imagine it was probably realistically about 20 little TIAs I just got this surge of pure determination and I was 100% certain I was getting out of there. I just want to live a lengthy, nice life. Like, I've had it now, I've done it, let me live. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year. That's about one every five minutes. And the people having strokes are getting younger. In 1999, a quarter of all strokes happened to people aged between 20 and 64. By 2010, that number had grown to a third. A stroke is usually sudden, it can be devastating, and the health services, while amazing with diagnosis and treatment, After the stroke, patients often find that there aren't enough resources to help them on their journey to recovery. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Luna Jarvis, a student at the University of Lincoln. In early 2018, Luna suffered from a series of major strokes. I was a proper university student, I suppose, just going out, doing all the normal stuff, that sort of thing. Very active, I think. I was on a bus to go to London for a university sort of trip. And halfway through the trip, I feel like half of my face start to go a bit tingly. It was like pins and needles, but it was also nothing of the sort. And it went a bit droopy and I couldn't move my mouth and I couldn't move my tongue very well and I couldn't talk. But because half of my face was working just not very well, the person running the trip didn't think it was a stroke. They said I was too young and all of that. So I just carried on. And I was in London for the whole day having little strokes. (laughs) Halfway through the day, it started spreading to my arm and my arm got tingly. So I had seven little ones that I can remember, but I imagine it was probably realistically about 20 little TIAs. Um, And then we got on the bus to go home at about 5pm and I just slept the whole way home because I felt so sick. I just didn't want to deal with it. And there was medical staff at the event that I went to and everything and all of them said I was too young and they said it was an ear infection. So I was just taking their word for it. And how am I supposed to know? I didn't even know that strokes had happened to people my age. So I slept the whole way home. 
And I came home and my friend who was on the trip with me walks me home and she's telling my flatmates what's happened to me and like, just keep an eye on her. I go to the loo and to unlock the door as I do so, my whole world just turns like completely 360 degrees. And I don't know how, but I managed to grab the door lock and I'm like swearing profusely, but at the last minute I just undo it. And my flatmates rush to me and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. Like the whole balance just completely shifted. And I don't know how I stayed standing. Despite the seriousness of Luna's condition, her experience getting the care she needed was a difficult one. Because I was adamant I was fine, they wanted me to call 111. And I kept hanging up because I was adamant I didn't need any help because I'm super stubborn. Uh, But eventually I went through and they said that I wasn't high priority. So they were going to get there in a couple of hours. So I went to the loo again after about an hour and a half waiting for the ambulance to come. And this time the balance thing happens again and I just fall flat. Like my whole world shifts and I can't catch on to anything. I just fall flat on the floor. My flatmates ring like, can you come a bit quicker, please? I don't think she's all right. And I just look up and there's two paramedics standing above me. And they're kind of like, do you want to get up now? And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll get up. And they did all these tests and they kept looking at me and they heard my symptoms. And they said to me, we can't see anything wrong with you. You look fine, but we're going to take you in just in case. And in the ambulance, I kept having little strokes again, and my face kept going tingly and droopy, but I liked to play it off and I didn't want it to be a big deal. And I was just trying to make the paramedic laugh. So she didn't think there was really anything wrong. She was just going, oh, how strange, whenever my face started to droop. And then we got to A&E and instead of putting us in a bed where you're supposed to go when you get put in an ambulance they chucked me in the A&E waiting room and I was in the A&E waiting room for five or six hours just there hadn't seen anyone hadn't done anything and then the doctor comes in after all of this time and he says my name and as if that's the trigger say your body's filled with water like it's filled with energy and that's your sensation that's your feeling I felt half of my body completely drain away through my toes and it was just gone like my left side was just gone but in order to combat the issue I thought standing up would help so I stood up but because you can't equate for the weight you were carrying and I was now half paralyzed I just fall on the floor and I start to fade away and like I was having like little spasms and this is where I can't remember it but my friend Louis who came with me said that the doctor came to me because the last thing I remember is looking at the doctor kind of looking at me quite perplexly and then I fade away and what actually happened was he takes one look at me uh, looks at Louis and goes when she's finished what she's doing pick her up put her in a chair and bring her in and then he goes because he thinks I'm drunk right so Louis scrapes me off the floor puts me in a wheelchair drags me into his room And I'm a vegetable. I can't even remember that we saw the doctor, right? I can't speak, do anything. I'm not there at all. He looks at me and he goes, so what seems to be the problem? And (laughs) expects me to reply. But Louis talks for me. And then he shines a light in my eyes and he goes, all right, uh, we'll go sit back out in the waiting room. So we do. We go sit back out in the waiting room. I'm coming a bit more too, but I'm still as high as a kite and I can't move half of my face. But I'm just rocking back and forth. I'm kind of there, kind of not. But I know if I go to sleep, I will not wake up. And Louis knew this as well. So he just kept feeding me with the worst jokes you've heard on the planet, like really bad. 
he just kept rambling this rubbish. And all I could do was smile with half of my face to let him know that I could hear him. And I was just bobbing up and down in this wheelchair. And it was like the weight was agony. And we were in A&E for five or six hours before they eventually took me to get a CT scan. And then they said that I'm going to be taken up to the stroke room eventually after an hour after coming back from the CT scan. And then once I got to the stroke unit, they were gorgeous, lovely people. But they get so angry because they said they go down to A&E every day and tell them, no matter how old you are, if you see someone that looks like they're having a stroke, it probably is one. And if you just send them upstairs, we've got a shop that cures it. But anyway, because I was there for so long, I got severely damaged and I I really did nearly die. (laughs) I had the woman come up to me saying, "Okay, we're going to take you to the stroke unit now. And I remember her, I was still really out of it, but I remember her saying to Louis, you can come with her, but when we get to the stroke unit, you've got to go. And I just look at him and I'm like, don't you dare leave me at all. Like, don't you absolutely dare. You're not, you're not leaving me at all. Also, why am I going to the stroke unit when I haven't had a stroke? I'm not a bloody pensioner. But the thing is, even in that point, even sitting there, half numb, paralyzed, I still didn't think it was a stroke because I didn't know. I had no idea that it could happen to young people. But I got up to the stroke ward, and the next thing I remember is I'm sitting in a bed with paper trousers on, and a nurse comes in, and she says, have they told you what's happened to you? And I was like, no, not really. And she said, you've had a severe stroke. And all I could do was go, oh. And then Louis walks in, and the best way I can think to say it, like in a really happy way, I was just like, hey, so I've had a stroke. And on reflection, that wasn't the best delivery. Because he just started to ball it, just completely cry. Um, but I didn't really have time for a stroke. I don't want to say it like that, but I didn't have time. I was at uni, I'm really busy. Like I, I just didn't have the time. And I don't know where it came from, but I, I just got this surge of pure determination. And I was 100% certain I was getting out of there really quick. So a couple of days go by, and I'm still completely paralysed. But I also think, well... If you just swing your leg and hope for the best, you can walk. So I try and learn to walk again. I've got all these things like with a numb hand, trying to ask it to move and like even pick up a cup with enough pressure to lift it, but not enough to crush it or even how to position your fingers. I had to learn everything again. I couldn't shower, eat anything by myself. It was completely taken away from me. But I was there for a week. At the end of the week, I could move my fingers. I could kind of use it and I could walk all right. So they let me go and I went straight back to my uni house. I didn't even want to go home because I I didn't want to accept defeat and I didn't want to just lie there in bed because I knew the only way to get better from this is to go straight back on the horse and carry on. So I was only there for a week and I went straight back to my uni house. Three days later, I went back to uni and like two days after that, I went out clubbing (laughs) and that's just how I recovered. The whole time, Louis was telling my mum that everything was fine, not to come up. I live in Norfolk normally, so... The Lincoln Norfolk journey was quite lengthy, but she does show up at like 4 a.m. and she's obviously devastated. She's a mum. But I said to her, I have absolutely no intention and I'm 100% certain, and I can't tell you why I know this, but I'm certain that I'm going to get out of here and I will be fine. I was absolutely certain of it. And I always said to her, I don't mind that the stroke happened to me because it had to happen to someone. I mind that it didn't have to happen to me because if, if there was just a bit more knowledge and the stigma was taken away, 
I wouldn't be seen as a drunk student, I would have been seen as a patient. Still in the middle of her university degree, Luna had to contend with the effects of the stroke while continuing her studies. It was absolutely devastating because as well as my half-numb side, 20% of my brain was now dead. And the bit that died was responsible for a lot of things. Um, it was the parietal lobe, I think I'm saying that right. And essentially one of the things that came with it was asphasia, which to simmer it down is where if I get spoken to, unless I can see the lips move, I just hear a length of noise. I can't differentiate it into a language. Similarly, if I was going to reply, uh, last minute my brain will change what it wants to say or give me different words to use. So if I wanted to say something like hammock, my brain would say canoe because they're like a similar shape and last minute I'm, I completely mess up. My mum moved up here. My mum came up from Norfolk to Lincoln and stayed with me for a month looking after me. She was absolutely brilliant. But she drove me to uni every day and I remember hobbling into a lecture with my stick and I couldn't understand a word, not a word. I couldn't hear what they were saying. I couldn't retain the information. The point was to be there. The point was to get out and actually be there. And that was really great. I was under the impression that they'd let me straight back in. That was not the case. The day after I came out of the hospital, I made an appointment. I rang them and I was like, you will see me. So my whole media school sat in this table, like this conference room and they had no intention of letting me back for like six months. I strongly believe if I hadn't have got back on straight away, I wouldn't be able to move and work seamlessly in society as I do now. So I was sitting there with my stick and my mum drove me in and they, they were saying all this, oh, we really don't think it's good for you to be back. We really don't think you can do it. And that was the thing that was like, you know what, just because you've said that, you're going to have to let me in now. So they let me back in the day after, <laughs> like with great reluctance. Uh, with the proviso that my mum was chaperoning me to all my classes, which I only let her do for one day. And then I was like, right, you can go now. I don't want this special treatment. My way of healing is to go straight back into normality, like just keep going. So then I just kept going. And after they saw that I was okay with it, then they loosened up and they were okay. They gave me extensions because I needed them. A really nice guy from my TV project gave me a laptop with voice software so I don't have to type if my hands are feeling bad they're all so great they're really lovely but what wasn't great is the new brain that I'd been left with I wasn't Luna anymore I felt like a buggy version of me that couldn't cooperate couldn't do what I wanted it to do what once was everything in tight little boxes was now a chaotic vacuum of information and I couldn't pinpoint things or it was really confusing and I felt so dumb and I felt so idiotic and it was really hard to get to grips with a new brain. Uh, but now I've learned ways around it and ways to adapt. But at the start, I felt so stupid and that's a really dangerous thing. Plus, nobody told me what aphasia was, so I just thought I was an idiot. And then I found it on a tweet from the Stroke Association. I was like, oh, that's it. This doesn't bother your intelligence. It just messes up what you receive. I was scared, but I didn't give myself a choice to be scared. I didn't give myself the time to sit down and be like, is this a good idea? Because I knew if I did, I'd get too scared to come back into modern life. Again, I really don't know where this kick came from because I'm usually very lazy. But this kick just came and I was like, you've got to go straight back. If I laid in bed, how am I supposed to get my fingers moving? How am I supposed to get my brain working again if I can't go back to work? 
it was that it was that I have to just go. So I only had the week off that I was in hospital and then I went straight back to it. Luna also found that the stroke had a serious impact on those who were closest to her. I think it affected Louis a lot because he was there when he saw it. He got quite traumatised by it and we were best friends beforehand anyway. He's my boyfriend now, but at the time it ruined him. And my mum was devastated. My mum's a funeral director, so she's been brought up with this synopsis of my life's not bad because there are others that have it a lot worse. So I was always really cool. But this was the one time where I was like, actually, this is pretty significant. And it really crushed my mum. She lost her mojo. She lost, like, she was just so sad. She had another daughter that didn't make it long before me. The thing about a stroke is it usually affects everybody around you a lot more than it affects yourself because I had no choice but to survive. So in that moment, I have to keep going. I can't even think about it. I've just got to keep going. But your family and your friends are around you and all they can see is this. They have to focus on it and they are allowed to be really affected by it. But the victim themselves just has to carry on. Like we don't have the time to worry or get really sad until we're at a safe place where we can just relax. My friends were brilliant. Like in the hospital, they would come to see me every day, like every single day I'd have visitors and they were perfect. They couldn't have been better. I love them all. They were absolutely perfect. They really helped my recovery because who would go out with a, a recently like week old stroke victim clubbing? Like it's amazing. Luna suffered a huge number of mini-strokes before she was able to assess the right level of care, and yet her recovery has been nothing short of remarkable. She was determined to return to her studies as soon as possible, and did just that without ever looking back. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Luna explains how she was focused on getting life back to normal. I'm so intent on getting back in normality. I didn't want their help because it was a shift from normal. I didn't want visitors and to be dragged down. I just wanted to carry on and keep going. And she talks about beginning her YouTube stroke diary. I thought my experiences with being perceived as drunk were a one-off. I just thought it was my luck. And my mum for weeks was like, you need to document this. You need to tell people. You need to do this video. And eventually I just did it off the cuff. I was like, right, fine, I'll tell it. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Let's hear how Luna evaluates her life since her recovery from stroke. I think it will always be different. There was a point where I was completely reckless. I had a really bad time because I, I was looking at all these kids around me, all these uni students, drinking, going out. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, well, why can't I do that anymore? And I had a bit of a where is me uh, section, watching them all gallivanting off to the clubs and I couldn't drink as much as I wanted or do anything. And, and from that, rebellion came and I was drinking loads of like bottles of wine, which I really shouldn't be doing because <laughs> I'm now on blood thinners for life. But I didn't care. And then eventually, like Louis and everyone have helped me care again. But it's got to the point where I live with a certain level of morality. Like I'm very aware how easily I can die. <laughs> and it's like just doing things is scary. Like I've just been to the gym for the first time in my life and the whole time I'm thinking, well, can I jump up and down? Can I do this? Because like all the strokey advice on the internet is for old people. It's not for, if you want to go to a concert and you've had a stroke, can you manage a large crowd? I've literally been thrown in blind and it's really quite scary to make up your own rules. I was offered by the Stroke Association to have people come around to my uni house every week and check how I was doing, which was really lovely. But at the same time, I'm so intent on getting back in normality. I didn't want their help because it was a shift from normal. I didn't want visitors and to be dragged down. I just wanted to carry on and keep going. So that's not their fault. I just didn't want their help. Even if I did ask them, and I was like, my brain is really weird today. Like, I can't talk I can't really understand people and all they would do is go oh that's ever so strange I had to find about asphasia from a tweet and I get so scared because I just feel like I go to all these music gigs I do all this stuff and I'm like well can I like can't can I go on fairground rides anymore like little things even drinking alcohol it's like obviously I'm not allowed to do it but realistically as like a young person there will be occasion where I might want to do it and how much can I realistically have because, you know, nobody feels safe enough to give these answers. And I don't think even think there's been research about any of these answers. Like, there is nothing online for young people at all. No information for me to be like, what I'm doing is okay. It surprised me that little things hurt now. So temperature detection on my left side is completely messed up. But if it gets something cold, warm, hot, it sends me pain signals just in case it's something bad. So showering is a nightmare, really hurts. Like picking up something cold, ow, it feels like you're burning. But burning, like hot things, I can't detect as much. And there was one time where I just rested my fingers on a frying pan on the cooker because I just forgot. And then eventually I'm looking and I'm like, oh, I'm getting a bit of a warm sensation. And I look down and my fingers are frying. But instantly if I pick something out of the freezer, oh, it hurts. Like it, it messes you up. Looking back on her stroke, Luna remains positive and wants to share her experience with others. I feel a mixture of things. I mean, I think what it's given me is amazing opportunities. I, Louis and I are now ambassadors for the Stroke Association and we go and do talks to all these people and see all this stuff and them looking at being on adverts and things this year, which is really great. Anything to raise awareness. And obviously I, I made some YouTube videos uh, telling my experience about it and they went a bit mad I was on the news and all that I thought my experiences with being perceived as drunk were a one-off I just thought it was my luck 
And my mum for weeks was like, you need to document this. You need to tell people. You need to do this video. And eventually I just did it off the cuff. I was like, right, fine, I'll tell it. And it blew up. And I got hundreds and like hundreds and hundreds of messages from young people saying that they were also perceived to be drunk and they've got all this damage. Some people died. Like it's, it was a huge thing. And the, usually, right, there's conversations that you add to, but this conversation hadn't even been started. And because of the video, it started this talk and it started something that young stroke people, we don't have a platform. We don't have anything to talk about because nobody knows and nobody talks about it. So this this opened it up and it was like, actually, this is a huge issue. And the amount of young people that have been perceived to be drunk is too big. Like strokes are in the top 10 cause of death in young people. And I strongly believe the reason why that is, is because people don't think they're strokes and they don't catch them in time. If we just stop the stigma and treated young people instead of thinking we've had a bit too much, you know, it saves lives. And people were unaware, like paramedics were telling me they'd never been taught that young people could have strokes. That education is the most important thing. So from that perspective, I'm glad that I've like it's given me a purpose and I'm glad that it's done that. But sometimes I get I do get a bit sad that it has happened, obviously, and I am half numb. But we've just got to keep moving forward. I can't dwell on it at all. My goals are to live my life. And my goals are to not let a little strokey thing, I mean, there was a big strokey thing, but a little strokey thing impacts anything I do. And I would love it one day if I got like a little bit of feeling back in my hand, that'd be really nice. But if not, I just want to be, I just want to be normal, as bad as that sounds and as cliche as that is. I just want to live a lengthy, nice life. Like I've had it now, I've done it. Let me live, you know. Finally, Luna emphasises the importance of determination. We're all so different. I would just say, find that fire, find that thing that will get you up and get you moving. At least try. Don't just sit there. Don't just lie there. Because the first, at least four months after a stroke are crucially important. If you ever want to regain back movement, you've got to just do it and it might hurt and it might be it's so tiring and it's horrible um and also if you do have asphasia and if you do find things difficult like that i've heard of a woman that can write but not read like things that contradict you like you're not dumb you're not stupid you're all good just calm down you'll find a way around it eventually but it will take time and that's it's cliche again it just takes time Luna's attitude to life after her stroke is infectious. Her focus on helping to spread the word about stroke in young people highlights her positivity in the face of considerable adversity. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for The Stroke Association online. And for a dedicated NHS webpage, search for NHS Strokes. And please subscribe, rate and comment because that helps us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. 
The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.